Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, we're diving into the new CARES Act coronavirus stimulus package. What distributions can be taken from retirement accounts, the recovery rebates, stimulus checks for those on Social Security, and unemployment benefits for self-employed and 1099 contractors? Plus, a listener asks whether he should invest his forbearance and buy foreclosures to capitalize on the financial crisis. And we get into the cash-on-cash math for rental real estate and potential property tax deduction changes for Californians under a revised Prop 13. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. Uh, It's been a wild, wild ride here. I don't know, I guess the past month, month and a half, it seems like anyway. And that this month feels like years. The days just seem to drift for months. It, it does. And I, and I know this is, it's a lot of hardship for a lot of people. A lot of folks are suffering. A lot of folks have loved ones that are sick or, or you're sick. And, and our heart goes out to you. Uh, we, we obviously wish you the best, uh, but uh Let's all try to hang in there the best we can. We'll get back to normal someday, uh, just a matter of when. A lot of questions are coming in for the CARES Act that was just signed. So, Al, what do you think? We'll just kind of dive right in. Let's do it. All right. So we got Terry from Minneapolis. So contest. So when you say area code, Andy, that means you've stalked him. No, it means that when he filled out the contact form, he gave us his phone number, and that's the only way we have any idea of where Terry is from. Got it. So he didn't really want us to talk about Terry. (laughs) No, and he's probably he's probably like you, Joe. He's probably transplanted somewhere else. Yeah, well, Minneapolis, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. What what was it? Seven six three six one two. I don't remember at this point. Got it. All right. Uh, So, hello all. I have a couple of questions about the CARE Act. Uh, For the hundred thousand dollar withdrawal from a qualified account, is the income limit? I make too much to take advantage of. I married finally jointly. Can both husband and wife take out $100,000 for a total of 200000 Thank you. All right. Well, Al, let's kind of take a step back to explain a little bit about what he's talking about in regards to the CARES Act. Yeah. So uh, with 401ks or 403bs, employer plans that allow you to take a loan from the, um, from the account, not all plans do. Uh, and we're not talking IRAs. We're talking. He's talking about distribution. Oh, he's talking distribution. Okay, sorry, I was not looking at that that carefully. So he's talking about he's talking about a distribution. So um, taking a withdrawal from the qualified account. Uh, so there's there's something called a coronavirus related distribution. You think that's what he's asking about? Yeah. All right. So what you can do is you can take a hundred thousand dollars out of a retirement account, IRA, four hundred one k, four hundred three b, TSP. And you have the option to do a couple of different things. You can pay it back over three years, or you could de- um, or pay the tax over three years. If you're under 59 and a half, there's no 10% penalty. And if you're taking it from your employer-sponsored plan, such as a 401k, um, there is no mandatory withholdings. So if you're looking to take out $100,000, no, there is no AGI limitation on the distribution. The only AGI limitations that are applicable in the CARES Act is if you are going to get any recovery rebates, which I'll explain in a second. So Terry, to answer your question, if you want to take a $100,000 withdrawal from your retirement account, there's no income limit. So if you want to pull out the hundred, you can, but it's only a hundred thousand dollars per tax return. So if you're, if you file join, it's a hundred thousand bucks. 
So it's not a hundred for you and a hundred for your wife is what you're truly asking here. So you can only take out the hundred thousand dollars. You can then elect to pay it back in three years, not pay it back at all and pay the tax over three years. So it, it gives you a little bit of flexibility if you need, uh, do need some excess cash flow in these trying times. So, um, yeah, that's that's exactly right, Joe. And I think when you take that money out, it just depends upon how long you think you're going to need it. In other words, you can you can roll it back in instead of a 60 day rollover, which is the normal rule. You have up to three years to roll it back in. So when you roll it back in, that means there's no taxes whatsoever. But of course, then you'd have to have the money to roll it back in. And if you don't, I think a lot of folks probably if they're pulling money out to live, they may not have it to put back in. So you're going to pay tax on it. You you will avoid the 10% penalty, even if you're under 59 and a half. And the default is that a third, a third, a third is taxable in 2020, 21, and 22. So in this particular case, if it's 100,000, 33,333 would be taxable in, in 2020 and same amount in 21, same amount in 22. You can make an election to tax it all in the, the first year if you want to, but I'm not sure a lot of people are going to want to do that, but just be aware that you can do that. Well, I mean, I think you might want to, if, if so if I'm going to tax it, I'd much rather tax it in 2020. If I know that I'm going to be back to normal in 2021, yeah, the depends. tax is not due until April. Yeah, it depends on the cash flow. So, so the concept is if you're if you're in a low income year in 2020, you'd probably be in a lower tax bracket, so you'd pay less tax. The big caveat, though, is you'd have to have the tax money available to pay it in April of next year. Correct. Let me talk a little bit about the recovery rebates. So this is where the the phase outs happen when it comes to AGI. Um, so right now, basically what these rebates are, it's, it's a, it's a tax credit against your 2020 taxes. So, uh, but they understand that we need cash in our pockets today. So they're doing things looking at our 2018 or 2019 return. Um, so it's $1,200 for individuals, $2,400 for married couples. So you get an additional $500 per child that has to be under 17. So it's under 17 years of age. So if you're married, it's $2,400 plus 500 bucks. So if you have two kids married, it would be $3,400 check uh, deposited in your account or mailed to you. $1,200 for individuals. The phase out is $150,000 for a married couple, $112,500 if you're head of household or $75,000 if you're single. Uh, so that's when the phase out starts. So your phase out will end depending on how many children that you have. Because if you have a married couple with five children, right, their phase out is going to be a lot larger than a married couple with one child, just because they're, they're getting that much larger of a credit. How the credit is reduced, it's every thousand or every what, thousand dollars over the AGI limits, they reduce $50 from the credit. So, um, that's kind of the game there. Probably, what, what would you read, Al? About 90% of the population will get some sort of check. Um, so, that, that, yeah. that's good. I don't know how, if it's enough, uh, but at least it's something. Well, at least it's something, and, and you are right. So, it's, it's going to, for most people, they're going to be able to get it. So, here, a couple considerations. One is, if you qualify in uh, either, well, the IRS looks at the most recently filed returns. So if you have not yet filed 2019, they're going to look at 2018. 
And if 2018, let's just say your income is higher than these limitations and you know that 2019 is, is lower, then you might want to go ahead and file that. You do want to go ahead and file that so you can actually get this advanced credit. Uh, in some cases, Joe, folks are not going to qualify in 2018 or 19, but 2020, they probably will because their income may be lower. And in that particular case, you're not out, out of luck. You just have to wait till you file your 2020 return. So you don't necessarily get it up front, but you will get it later with the return. So yeah. just be aware of that. And the way the, re the refund comes to you or this advanced payment comes to you, uh, stimulus refund, they call it, is basically the same way you get a tax refund on your return. So when you file your tax return, uh, if you ask for a paper check, then that's how you get a, a, this stimulus check. If, you, if it's direct deposit, like about half of us do, then it's going to be a direct deposit. And as far as timing, Joe, it's we, we don't really know. It's uh, uh, Mnuchin said that uh, he'd like to have it come out within three weeks. But when if you kind of look at history, other types of stimulus uh, checks that have come out in the past have taken a month or two. So we, we just don't know. And we also don't know when the cutoff's going to be. Because like if you, if you have 2018, you had too much income, but 2019 it's lower, you want to go ahead and file that as soon as you can so that the IRS is, I mean, the, the government's going to look at 2019. Uh, but when, what date they're going to look at this, uh, it's, uh, we, no one knows at this point. Yeah, there's still a lot of unknowns. This bill just came out a week ago. So exactly. I've already saw that they're adding other things and, and clarifying other things is that if you've, let's say you didn't file a tax return, but you're collecting Social Security benefits because a lot of uh, retirees don't necessarily file a tax return because their income is too low. Um, so because they didn't file, would they get a check? The answer is yes. Um, so th there's a lot of things that we're still clearing up, but w we can kind of give you a high level. We got a few more emails here on the CARES Act. We got Karen. She writes in from Massachusetts. Uh, she's like, no one can answer my stimulus question. I retired in 2016 and received Social Security. My son claims me as a dependent. Will I get a check? Thanks. <laughs> well, um, well, okay, a couple of things here. <laughs> So since she hasn't, um, so she retired in 2016. Um, the, 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 here's the rub is that the, the son claims her as a dependent. And yeah. from what I read, if there's dependents, they won't necessarily get a check. But then I read if they're claiming Social Security, all anyone that's claiming Social Security would get a check. Is it safe so to say have... there's still stuff that they're figuring out? Yeah, I saw something um, this week or um, earlier today, actually. Um, what do you think, Al? Yeah, my first impression was just like you, uh, which is being claimed as a dependent would eliminate the ability to get the stimulus. But I also have heard that same thing about Social Security. Uh, it's not clear to me. I will say that this this uh, stimulus act just came out on on Thursday, March 27th. So it's pretty recent, uh, and it's 880 pages. So it's 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 kind of difficult to get through this whole thing. So I, I well here but, let me let me ask you a question, Al. So why would anyone? All right. So why would anyone claim their parent as a dependent? Because I like before the Jobs Act, I could see because of exemptions that they could write off on their tax return. But there, I mean, if I'm claiming my parent as a dependent, 
what tax benefit would I receive if I did that? That's a great question. Uh, first of all, like we live in California, and so dependents still make a difference in California, although it's minor. I, I think the reason why you might still do it is, is if it's a dependent, even a parent, you could you could likely deduct their medical expenses on your return. And, and for you to claim them as a dependent, you have to be paying at least half of their care and, and support. So that could be a reason, Joe, but otherwise I agree, there's, there's no longer a dependency deduction on the federal return. And, and so if you haven't filed in this case, 2019, you might, and there's no, no particular advantage, uh, Karen, for your son, maybe he doesn't claim you as a dependent. So you, you make sure you get this credit, but in all honesty, this is such a new thing. Uh, Joe and I have heard conflicting things on whether you get a check or not. And, and so I understand why no one can answer it because it's not clear. So, but maybe the workaround, because, um, we know if her son didn't claim her as a dependent, she would absolutely get a check. She would. Uh, I mean, if she qualifies under AGI, but if her son's claiming her as a dependent, I would imagine her AGI is, you know, a hundred grand. Right. That would be a, a fair guess, right? Yeah, no, it's it, her. Yeah. Her AJ would be low enough to qualify for it. But I've also heard that uh, if you if you didn't file a tax return in 2018 or 19, even though you didn't have to, maybe you should. But then I heard conflicting information on that too. That that if you're with Social Security, that'll take care of it. So yep. anyway, yeah. it's 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 a bit confusing to be honest because there's a lot here. Uh, but to to be on the safe side, uh, certainly uh, to be if you want to be 100% safe on what we know. Karen, is if, if your son does not claim you as a dependent for 2019, you go ahead and file uh, right now, even though you may not owe any tax, that would that would definitely put you on the safe side. Okay, so we, we got another one on the CARES Act, Al. And by the way, we're, we're doing this all remotely. We're all in different places. We can't see see each other either. That's what kind of throw, throws this off just a smidge. It does. Yeah. Because then usually I can see Al laugh. Yeah. Because you, you start to laugh with the smile, but now it's, it's just like dead air. It's like I feel like a. You don't know what I'm, what, <laughs> what my emotions are. It's the same. Well, you you always you always have the same expression, so I can imagine that. Yeah, it's perfect, right? Intense. Yeah, it, it pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, all right. Another one on the CARES Act. If you retired from one company. But you were 1099 on two different companies, and you still work for one 1099 company. Can you still file for unemployment? So he's um, the gig economy, it sounds like here, right? Mm -hmm. so he's 1099, meaning a, like a, a contractor. So he was doing a little bit of work for one company, doing a little bit of work for the other company. One company laid him off, uh, but he's still working on the other. Can he file for unemployment? What do you yeah, think? Well, one, one of the things about the this the unemployment compensation under the CARES Act is it never uh, it was never allowable if you were self-employed, but that's changed for this. So if you are self-employed and you you lose uh, your income, then you can apply for it. Now, Joe, I honestly have not read the section on this either, but here's what I think. What I think is if you probably, if you have a certain reduction in your income, you would probably still qualify, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, um, w w because 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 I mean, any self-employed person, I mean, theoretically could have a lot less income, but still have income. So I'm, I'm not quite sure how that's written. Right. Know? Because in the past, as a self-employed person, you couldn't file anyway. 
That's right. Yeah. yeah, this is brand new. So now we got self-employed people filing for unemployment benefits. So I guess if one gig, you know, I don't know, I'm driving for Uber and Lyft and then Uber lays me off and then I'm still driving for Lyft. Can I claim benefits on my Uber income? I would go ahead and try it. Yeah, there's probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? I yeah, mean, nothing. Yeah, no harm, no foul, right? So, so there's probably a provision that that says if you lose X percentage or X dollars, I, I'm I'm not really sure that, but uh, anyway, that's what I would look into. I wouldn't give up on it. I think there's a there's a potentially an opportunity. Download our new CARES Act guide from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to learn more about this new coronavirus stimulus package. Find out if you qualify for any of these recovery rebates, what the new rules mean for you if you're a small business owner, what happens if you're currently taking or about to take required minimum distributions. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to get to the show notes, download the CARES Act guide, watch the latest market update webinar with Joe and our director of research, Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, and send in any questions you have uh, we got one from luis or is that lewis from corona california i'd right. say lewis lewis yeah i would guess luis but i guess it depends on who he's talking to <laughs> true all right andy al and joe look at andy get the front billing yeah, look at that right <laughs> look at who's carrying the caboose here you're right uh, saving the best I'm for last Lu yeah oh thank you andy um, I'm Luis from Corona, California, and I love, love, love your podcast and have listened to pretty much all of them, some multiple times. Ugh. Wow. That's, that's that, what. That's, I'm so sorry for you. Ugh, you know, <laughs> wasted time. Yeah, just hanging out, confined in his bedroom, just right. listening to your money or wealth. I first got turned on to your show a few years ago when I was in San Diego for my military reserve drill and turn on the morning TV show and watch your TV show while I was getting ready. I was late to the formation roll call. Oh boy. That day and got into trouble, but it was worth it. I've been hooked ever he, since. He probably said that it was because of Joe and Big Al. <laughs> yeah. To the military. I just envision like, um, you know, him running up, you know, to get in formation and the drill sergeant's just yelling to beat I, hell right in his face. He had to do like Luis. 150 push-ups and yeah. run track. <laughs> you know what time it is, son? <laughs> uh, totally uh, the best podcasts out there. I listen to them once a week while I walk my dog on Saturdays and replay them on Sunday mornings and I can concentrate and really, really digest on what you're saying. My question is more th theoretical in nature, and hopefully others will find it useful too. All right. Sounds good. Here we go. Uh, considering this current health crisis that's turning into a financial crisis, I'd like to know who's actually going to profit from it, and how can a small investor like myself protect my interest and maybe get a little ahead? Okay. 47-year-old federal employee, my income hasn't been, won't be affected whatsoever. Good. My TSP has lost over $125,000 since this started. Current balance about two hundred ten. But I'm worried about it. Not since worried I'm about it. But oh, I'm not. Thank you, Andy. I'm not worried about it since I'm contributing to it. Won't need it for about another fifteen years. Buy low, sell high. I'll be mandatory retired at age fifty-seven, but work another job to keep my current income around one hundred forty-five thousand. However, I'm seeing that I'm being um, 
offered forbearance. Am I reading this right? Uh, okay, yeah. However, I'm seeing that I'm being offered forbearance on my mortgage and other financial liabilities. I was thinking about taking out a small personal loan, approximately fifteen to twenty-five thousand, and buying some stocks in American Airlines, Boeing, Disney, Marriott, and others that have pretty much bottomed out, but have been basically promised a bailout by the Fed. So I know they'll come back. I know society and people, and I have no doubt people will return to their spending habits once things return. I'm also thinking about exercising the forbearance being offered and throwing some of the money at some investments at well. Further, what's your thoughts on real estate market uh, with foreclosures in the near future? My thoughts are it will. I uh, consider some people will exercise their forbearance options, but that will increase their monthly payments once this is over, unless they get a pay increase. Uh, it's just a matter of time until the foreclosures start. The eviction coverage will eventually end and banks will want their homes back to sell at a reduced rate and takes the loss. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking about buying a rental condo when the price drops. This guy's a market timer, huh? He's just yeah, gonna, right. right. Trying, to, human, trying to profit. Human, yeah. You bet. All right. So thanks for any opinion you guys have on this topic, I'm sure I'm not the only one thinking about this stuff. I've loved the show and would love to hear two podcasts a week possible. Uh, Luis, do you hear how I read these emails? <laughs> There's not a chance in hell. We're doing two podcasts a week. Uh, one for Saturday morning, one for Sunday. P.S. Since I'm in SoCal, I'll probably look at attending one of your seminars this year. Thanks again. All right. Well, we would love that. All right. So, okay. So let's buy Disney, Boeing. American Airlines, what do you, you know, yeah, I get that. I mean, if, if you got a couple of bucks to play around and you think they bottomed out, go ahead and buy them. But one of the things that you got to be careful of is that he says, well, the Fed will bail them out so they'll recover. Okay, well, you're not the only one that knows that, right? So when you, you got to be careful with pricing. It's not, the, the, the pricings aren't going to skyrocket it once American Airlines is flying again. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, the, the market is already anticipating that they're not going to, you know, they're, they're cutting their flights by 70% for the next three months. And for, and then thereafter it will return to normal. So the pricing of the stock is it, you got to be careful on how you're trying to time all of this, I guess is my thought. Yeah. And I, I would add, I don't really like the idea of borrowing money to do this. I mean, it's to me, that's pretty speculative. If, if you've got extra money available and you want to do something like this, but realize you're taking risk. I mean, if these companies are going to be bailed out and I would tend to agree with you, it doesn't mean that they're strong. <laughs> it means that they need a bailout. And so there's no guarantee that that's even going to work. So, so just, just be aware of that. I mean, you're, when you're when you're doing stuff like this, uh, you, you've got to you, you have to have a mindset that you know you're, you're you're buying this for future appreciation. You believe in the companies. You think this is this is a good risk to take. But you there, there's no guarantee that any of these companies will 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 make it right. I mean, these are strong companies, but we've seen other strong companies, Joe, in the past that we thought were strong and ended up not making it. Right. So, but I mean, if it's just play money, and that's how I would consider this. Um, but if I'm looking at, all right, so you have $200,000 and you want to take 10% and buy some um, stocks that have kind of got rocked. I don't know. That's a little high. Um, but I, I think he's going to probably have a fairly good pension. Um, federal government guy, you know, steady income. 
so so I don't I, I don't mind what he's doing. I'm he reminds me of Mikey Martin, you know, by yesterday's winners today. <laughs> exactly. He, <laughs> no, he does he's do in that. the Navy. Um, yeah, well, but but yeah, and I agree with that. If he's using existing money, but if you're going to go out and borrow money to do this, it makes me nervous. Yep. And what do you think of real estate, Al? You're you're a big real estate guy. Well, uh, certainly uh, real estate may tank, but it may not. I mean, I, I guess in my professional career, there's been three pretty good recessions. Uh, one was um, one was in the early '80s, one was in '92, uh, and one was in 2007, 2008. And the latter two, real estate went down. My experience in California, real estate went down quite a bit during the Great Recession. Not quite so much in. 1992 and really didn't go down at all at least in california in 1980 and that was actually a fairly rough one so there's no guarantees i mean i do agree with the premise that if people don't have jobs and they can't make their mortgage payments and everything's getting deferred and then they have now higher mortgage payments will they recover yeah there's it's there is going to be an impact on real estate but it's there's no way to know that for sure. We'll, we'll have to at least, you know, when I checked recently, uh, we're like, you know, whatever, a month plus into this crisis, uh, real estate values, at least in, in California, have held their own. And we, we just don't know. Now, I'm, I'm not generally, I would say, a, a market timer when it comes to the stock market because it's so hard to tell highs and lows. But uh, when it comes to real estate, uh, I think I, one of the things that I've learned over time is real estate in growing areas like California, for example, which I know a lot about because I live there. People are moving in. There's a lot of demand. So long-term, it looks good. If you can buy uh, on dips, then that, that can be a good thing. Uh, but that may or may not happen. I think there, there's there's really no guarantee that that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's thinking, all right, well, you know, all these people, they're out of work. They're renting. They're going to get kicked out. The landlords don't have rents, so they're going to, you know, blow up their loans. They're going to be a huge downside in regards to some of these markets, and that's when to buy. If you can time that, and if you actually think that that's going to happen long term, then by all means. But that that takes a lot of dominoes will have to fall for all of that to play out. Um, You know, we're a month in. People are, you know, I guess, you know, hurting for cash. Uh, but there'll be some programs, I think, uh, you know, people are not going to get kicked out of their houses um, right away anyway. I mean, right. So, um, uh, you know, he's looking, he's an optimist. He's looking on the other side of the coin here, maybe for some opportunities. But I do agree with the concept that things will get better and it's better to buy low than high. There's no question about that. Just just be that. But there's no way to predict it. Yeah, I'll go back. I know we're almost out of time, but I'll go back to 1986 and the Tax Simplification Act where they got they added the passive loss rules where you can no longer deduct your rental losses. And it was predicted that the whole real estate market would collapse. And then we ended up having a big boom from 87 to 90, 91. So you just don't know because there's there's too many other factors going on when it comes to investments, including real estate. Speaking of real estate, we've got a couple of real estate questions that we recorded way back in the before time when all of us could be in the studio together. So we're going to go through those now. If you're an aspiring real estate investor like Luis, you'll find our 10 tips for real estate investors in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, along with Big Al's video on things you should consider before buying rental real estate in your self-directed IRA. If you have questions about real estate, the markets, or any other financial topic, click the Ask Joe and Al on air banner in the podcast show notes 
and send them in as a voice message or an email. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to get to the show notes, where you can also read the transcript of this entire episode. Mark writes in from San Diego. Hi, Mr. Clopine. Just well, <laughs> in, in Mark's defense, he did write it to my direct email. And you, you forwarded it to Andy? I did. Got it. Did, does So do we... Does he know that we're going to be reading this? I'm just... Yes, because you actually replied to him and said, we will answer this on our podcast. There you go. Okay. I'm a big fan of Your Money, or Wealth. I DVR the Sunday show and listen to the podcast whenever I get a chance. Hi, Mark. Today I watched the episode about real estate in the cash-on-cash cash math. All right. I've heard of cash-on-cash, cash, but never did the specific math breakdown with the equity. I have a couple of duplexes that I'm hoping will find fund my retirement in about 25 years, and I would love to get your opinion here on my numbers. All right, so he's got <clears> – you got your calculator ready, or you already done the math? Oh, I'll do it in my head. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> he's right. such a pro. I know. Not, not that hard. All right. So, um, so he's got a place. Rental income's about $41,000. Rental expenses are 25000 so net cash flows sixteen grand. Property equity, 200000 Cash on cash return, 8%. Yeah, and that's about right. Because you take your net property cash flow and you divide it into your equity. So 16000 into 200000 is 8%. A simple observation, though, and that is cash on cash, you would want to deduct your mortgage payments. I don't know if that's included in here or not. It's unusual to have an 8% cash on cash anywhere in Southern California. So his expenses, he says, twenty five thousand dollars. You're so, thinking so, so, that this duplex is not including the mortgage. That's that's my guess. That, that this seems a little bit too good to be true. But anyway, we'll, we'll we'll go on. All right. So that's one property. Okay. So he's getting an, he's got another property, bringing in thirty eight thousand, rental expense twenty four thousand bucks, uh, net cash flow fourteen thousand, property equity, four hundred grand. Right, so now he's taking fourteen thousand cash flow into four hundred thousand. Now he's getting three and a half percent cash on cash, right? So that's that's the calculation again. You you have to deduct your mortgage payments as well, which may or may not be in here. Right, because okay, let's just say he's got a duplex in San Diego, um, and he's got equity of two hundred thousand dollars. A duplex in San Diego is probably going to be at least what eight hundred. Yes. In the area that he's in here, National City, I would say Yeah. I mean, it, it's know, not La Jolla. It's I mean, it's it's probably at least 6 7 800. Yeah. It's it's so the, in other words, the point is that it sounds like there's debt on it. There's $600,000 of debt. $600,000 yes. of debt is going to be more than $25,000. Right. So, yeah. All right. Yep. As you can see, uh oh, so his cash on cash on the second one is uh, 3.5%. Right. So as you can see, Sherman skyrocketed in value over the past seven years. That's the second property. Is it bad to have too much equity? Should I consider selling Sherman even if I have to pay capital gains tax? I also have been paying all the extra cash I'm making on both properties. What does that mean? I also have been... From all his profits. I've also been paying all the extra cash I'm making on both properties. I extra on the National City mortgage. Tw- oh, he's paying extra on the mortgage. Twenty five hundred extra on the National City mortgage because it's a seven one arm, and got a great interest rate. 
All right. Should. So he's paying $2,500 extra a month? That's what he's saying. What's 2,500 times 12, Al? Well, that's 30,000. Right. So his rental expenses are 25,000. So you got to take 25,000 times 30,000. Maybe that's annual. He doesn't really say. That has to be annual. Should I not be dumping all the extra cash to pay off this loan ASAP? Please, Big Al, any advice to help me stop pulling my hair out over this would be greatly appreciated. Okay, well, let's uh, let's start with this first question, because apparently, let's just say these were similar properties with similar cash flows, with similar equities, but one of them has gone way up in value and has a lot more equity, and the cash-on-cash calculation is net cash flow after mortgage payments divided into equity. That's that's the cash on cash. So so what he's thinking is, you know what, I'm only making three and a half percent on the one property because there's so much equity. Is that a good thing or or should I do something different? And the answer you'll talk to real estate agents that will call that dead equity. That's that's what they like to call it. Dead equity. In other words, you got equity that's not really doing much for you. Flip or flop. Yeah. So so then then if you want to maximize your future wealth building, although there's risk. If you want to maximize your future wealth building, you would sell the property. Uh, you wouldn't pay taxes on it. You'd do a 1031 exchange. And you'd take that equity of 400000 and you'd buy, instead of, let's say this property's worth seven, 800000 you buy one worth twice as much, $1.6 just to throw out a number. So now you're controlling a lot more real estate with the same equity. And as long as real estate goes up, that's a great idea. <laughs> that's a big caveat. But I can tell you from experience that doesn't always happen because when real estate goes down, you'll see your equity evaporate rather quickly. Right. So it's yes, if you wanna if you wanna maximize your wealth and you're you're gonna retire in twenty five years from now, so it's not exactly around the corner. So you you probably have the ability to wait these things out. But here's the here's the, the huge caveat is the more you do this, the more risk you're taking, and the more this can fall down like a house of cards because you, you're too overextended. So that's the first part of the question. Wow. That, All right. So Mark is going to blow himself up. But what he's also what he's not looking at is the total return on both properties. Yeah, we think he's missing that. So we're not even sure the calculation is right. Let's say the calculation is correct. So you have to look at... Total return on any investment, right? So you got the cash flow and you got the growth component of that house or of that investment. Sure. So you look at the growth and the cash flow, that add those two together to get your total return. I know, but let's just say both properties go up five percent. But so just just as an example. But he's saying the other one went up a lot higher than I know, but the what it did in the past. Now you now you have to look at what you got. I understand. Forward. If if they if they both grew at the same rate, right. and you're going to get a a lower total rate of return. Yeah, on the property that has too much equity, and that's what he's concerned about. And that is a true statement. In other words, let's say they're both worth the exact same thing, and they both go up five percent. So they have the the same exact appreciation, okay. but one is based upon two hundred thousand of equity. One is based on four hundred thousand dollars of equity. So the one with two hundred thousand dollars of equity you actually have twice as good a return on your appreciation. The math is is relatively simple. It's let's just do a, let's do a hundred thousand dollar property. Right. Well, I mean, you could also argue this is that rental properties are a lot better. Let's say in Texas or Tennessee, 
than they are in Southern California because the property values are that much lower. Yes, for, for cash flow. For That's cash right. flow. So right. your cap rate or cash on cash is going to be a lot higher in areas of the country that have lower market value homes. Right. In Southern California, when you're living two miles from the beach and you have a, a million and a half dollar home and you try to rent it out, your cash on cash return is going to be a lot lower because you have that higher market value, right? Yeah, that's accurate. Uh-huh. And then the, even if you have smaller equity, you're going to have a lot larger debt and that debt service is going to be included in your expenses. What we feel that Mark is missing could be the debt service that he's paying on these mortgages that should be included in his overall expenses. We don't know if it is. But maybe he's just made up the numbers just for illustration purposes and saying, you know what, if I have one property that has cash on cash at 8 another one at 3.5%, should I just dump the property and find another one that will give me higher cash on cash? Yeah, and part of the reason we're thinking that is it's very, very unusual to see a property in, in the San Diego area with more than 4% cash on cash. 8% would be unheard of. So it makes us be a little bit suspicious. So three and a half percent sounds right in line. That, yeah, that sounds a lot closer. But I mean, I'll give you a, a personal example. So I had a rental property that I bought in the '80s, and I held on to it for probably 15 years, and it, in that time it doubled. So it's like, okay, now I got I got a lot more equity. I actually put very little into it. Remember I, the last segment I was talking about? I didn't have a lot of capital. So now I had some capital. So I took this single-family home in Mira Mesa. I did a 1031 exchange. I bought a seven-unit apartment in City Heights, which was kind of, this would have been a 2002. It was an up-and-coming area. And that property doubled in two years. So it's like, great. I got all this equity. I want to parlay this into a lot more properties because that's how you make money in real estate. So I parlayed that into a 16-unit apartment building in Las Vegas. Big mistake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a condo in Kauai, which I loved. That was that was actually a good thing. Not necessarily a moneymaker, but that, that was quality of life. But, but see, here's the thing. So Vegas, and I'll give you the real numbers. So I bought it for, I bought the 16-unit apartment for 950000 And in about two years, this was 2004, in about two years, it went up to around $1.3 to $1.5 That would have been a good time to sell. Right, but I didn't. I didn't see the Great Recession coming, and when it came, that nine hundred thousand dollar property that was now worth one point three to one point five was worth probably three hundred fifty thousand. Ouch! Right, and my mortgage, and then the same thing I was just talking about. I couldn't. I didn't have enough to cover the rents, but I made it work. I had the resources. I had some resources. I made it work. Got through the Great Recession. I finally got to the point where. I was now above water in terms of equity, right? Right, and I just was so sick of this property. I sold it, right? Because I it probably it. gave you almost a heart attack. I, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't worth it, right? And so that's the that that's when I'm talking about parlaying your wealth. It's it's mathematically this is great to take your equity and just keep buying more and more property. But you, there's a big risk in doing that. But you know that's a good point, because you, you rode the roller coaster up yep. and loved it, and said, I'm parlaying, buying bigger properties, bigger properties. Recession hit, blew you up. But if you still held that apartment building today, yeah. what do you think it'd be worth? Probably yeah. $2 million? N- No, but, but I, it would probably be at least a mil. Right? Yeah, or more. Yeah. It was in downtown Vegas, which at the time was kind of an up-and-coming area. And I think it still is. It just took a huge pause. <laughs> One more thing. Yeah. I, I based this on 
many books I've read of people that have done this before me, and they've had exactly the same experiences. They, they ended up going too fast, and the house of cards fell down. It's, it's a really common thing. I've had two clients that have done this and lost everything. So just just be careful when you take your equity and you go too far too fast. But if you have time and if you have cash and capital, then you can weather the storm. Correct. That's right. If you have time to weather the storm, right? So it's just like another example of this would be your portfolio, a stock and bond portfolio, your 401k portfolio, right? If, you, if it dropped, Fifty percent, you had a million dollars, and you're taking forty, fifty thousand dollars a year from it, and then it dropped to five hundred thousand dollars, and you still needed to pull the fifty thousand dollars out. I mean, you could see that that thing just implode on you. But if I had time, if I had that million dollars, but I didn't necessarily had to tap into it, right, right, and I had time to let it come back and let it, you know, in 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 fund more money and put more cash into my four hundred one k when the markets are down, that's the best time to do it. So now I'm feeding this thing while it's down, and then when the market recovers, then I have that much more money. In real estate, it's 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 an asset. It's the same thing. Same idea. Right? Same idea. But what happens is that now you're funding cash, and then people look at their mortgage balances. It's like, well, the house is worth three hundred thousand, and I have a mortgage of four. I'm going to walk away, and that's what everyone did back in '08. That's right, right. And so, or if you funnel through it and say, you know what, I'm going to continue to do this. I got extra cash, but it's so hard for people to put cash into something like that when they have debt on it that's higher than the market value. Psychologically, people are like, screw it, I'm not going to do this. But if you can make it through that time period, things rebound. Yeah, case in point, I bought two single-family homes in Phoenix in 2004 for 150 each. They both, during the Great Recession, went down to about 70000 something like that, 75 maybe. Sure. Held on to them. Now at this point, I still own them. They're worth two fifty to two seventy. Right. Yeah. So it, it does. It does work. You just have to have the wherewithal to to, to get through the storms. And and that's the mistake people make is they don't have enough. They don't have enough emergency cash flow or emergency capital to be able to handle the things that can happen. Right. And so with Mark here, he's like, well, this cap rate sucks. I'm going to sell it, pay the tax, and then move on. Al saying no. Do what I did. There's a nice apartment building in Las Vegas for sale. <laughs> yeah, do a 1031. So at least you don't have to pay the tax. And then watch your investment go. Yeah, you don't pay any tax, but you could blow up your net worth. You know what's funny is is a lot of apartment owners at that time in San Diego went out of state because it was so highly priced in San Diego and not so much in other areas. Every single one of them that I know of regretted it, yeah. myself included. Because you can't watch over it, right? No, and it, is, it was the same. It was different market fundamentals that yeah. we didn't know. All right. Uh, Fred writes in from North County, San Diego, and he writes, um, If Uncle Gavin is able to overthrow Prop 13, um, Alan, can you help our out-of-state listeners um, who <laughs> yeah. Uncle Gavin is and what Prop 13 is? Uncle Gavin uh, is our mayor, is our governor of California, and Prop 13 is a special rule that I think came in the late 70s, if I'm not mistaken. And the idea there was that whatever your property tax was at that point in California, it could go up no more than 2% per year. And so in, in general, California property has gone up over time 5% a year. So if your if your property taxes are only going up two percent a year, you're paying much lower property taxes than you would otherwise pay if, if you 
if you buy the property. So what uh, what Fred is saying is that uh, if Prop 13 goes away, his property taxes may go up quite a bit. Yeah, it goes, will rise 2000 to $15,000 a year. If I make the same amount of money I made last year, which is about sixty-five k, would I get any of that money back on my refund? Love your show. You guys are not just funny, but so entertaining. Wow, there's a difference. There is. Yeah. There's funny and there's entertaining. <laughs> funny is one thing, but, <laughs> but you want to take that to the next level. Yeah, and then uh, take care. Ooh, thanks, Fred. Yeah, that's that's very nice. All right, so. Property tax goes to two thousand to fifteen thousand bucks. So here, here's he's the, looking for a refund. He is. So here, here's the answer. So it's not Uncle Gavin. It's uh, Uncle Trump <laughs> <laughs> came up with the with the tax law that said you can only deduct ten thousand dollars in taxes on your itemized deductions in any given year. And so I don't know what other taxes. I mean, you're in, well, you're in California, so presumably you've got some state taxes. You add your state taxes along with your property taxes, along with the deductible part of your Department of Motor Vehicle fees. And if that amount is over $10,000, which it would be if your property taxes are 15, you're limited to $10,000. So if that, but if this higher property tax amount creates higher taxes, at least up to the 10000 yeah, you will get at least some break, potentially. So, um, what's the, what's the odds? I mean, uh, Gavin? Slim to none. You know, that's what yeah. Okay. yeah, it's a very popular proposition in California. I don't see that going away. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. In these trying times, your retirement plan, it might be a little bit out of whack. Click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and sign up for a no-cost, no-obligation financial assessment video conference with a certified financial planner from Pure to learn about all sorts of different retirement planning opportunities available to you as a part of the new stimulus package. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.